Hey, everybody. Thank you for checking out the Galatians 3 uh, Bible study for today. I'm sorry that I can't do it live. I've had something come up. So I thought I'd pre-record it and make it available for you to watch or listen tomorrow, uh, which would be Thursday, October 8th. So uh, hope you're having a great day. And here we go. We are jumping right in with Galatians chapter 3. And I'm going to start at chapter uh, verse 6 and read through verse 9. Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declared the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the Gentiles shall be blessed in you. For this reason, those who believed are blessed with Abraham who believed. So if you tuned in last time, uh, on Tuesday, we talked about Galatians chapter 2. And Paul was writing to a group of people who were struggling to uh, overcome their differences, basically uh, writing about circumcision, saying you do not need to be circumcised uh, to become a, a, a Christian if you're a Gentile. And so putting beside this false gospel that Paul was referring to, this gospel of works where, you know, it's what we do in addition to God's grace. God's grace plus what we do equals salvation. And so Paul then is making the point that it's no, it's not about what we do. It is all what God does. And so part, many of the people, the Galatians, they thought they were made right before God based on what they did and according to the law of Moses and then what God did. Uh, and so Paul's saying, no, God deals with us in a covenant of grace. Stop trying to deal with God based on law. And I think that's something we still struggle with. God deals with us on grace. God has chosen to forgive us. God has chosen to save us. God has chosen to love us. Stop dealing with God then on the covenant of the law, on the principle of the law. And so grow in your relationship with God through grace. Grow in understanding of grace. May grace be the thing that is on your lips and on your heart today and always. And so to make this point, Paul refers back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, where God makes a promise to Abraham, known as Abram then. So I'm turning my Bible all the way back to the very beginning, Genesis 15, 6 uh, says, uh, Genesis 15, 5 and 6. He brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to them, said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it him as righteousness. Abraham's faith did not make him righteous. God made Abraham righteous by accounting his faith to him as righteousness. So God decided to, to look at Abram's faith and say, because I see that, I'm going to decide, I'm gonna, you're going to be righteous. That's going to make you righteous. I see your faith, and that is going to make you righteous. Uh, in the same way that we, Jesus' death on the cross doesn't make us righteous, faith in Jesus' death on the cross means God looks at us and says, I choose to see you as righteous, right? That's what God did for us. And by faith, God looks at us and says, yes, I, I see you. I see your faith. And I choose to, to see you as righteous. It's so important here that we get this. Abraham believed in God, right? In the sense that everyone believed in God. But that wasn't the thing. The thing was, Abram believed in God when God made a promise, right? God said, I am going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. And Abram believed in the promise that God made. 
And that was the faith that God saw and said, yes, that is righteousness. That is righteousness. And so it's not that we believe in God. It's not that we believe that there's something else out there. It's that we believe in the promise that God has made to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We say, yes, what you say in that promise, I believe that. And having faith in that, God says, I see your faith and I reckon it to you as righteous. Righteousness. Luther, what Luther had to say about this was, faith says to God, I believe what you say. I believe what you say. That's what Luther had to say. Faith says to God, I believe what you say. And so when God sees our faith, God sees us saying to God, I believe what you say. When you make a promise, I believe that you're going to follow through on that promise. And then he says something else here. He says, all who put their faith in Jesus are children of Abraham which is kind of interesting, kind of interesting, especially for people who were Jewish back then. They thought they were special. They thought they had this lineage from Abraham and no one else was ever going to have it. Uh, but this has also been used in bad ways. It's something called replacement theology, where the Christians have now replaced the Jews as God's chosen people. And this has led to a lot of hatred that has been in persecution of the Jews, right? That the Christians are now God's chosen people. The Jews are no longer God's chosen people. And so this has led to some problems. But we know that God still looks upon the Jews as the chosen people because it says that in Romans chapter 11, verses 26 and 27, Paul writes, and so all Israel will be saved as it is written, out of Zion will come the deliverer. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So the promise that God makes to the people of Israel has not been undone. And God did not make a promise and then go back on the promise. Plain and simple, something that everyone needs to hear over and often. Basically what it means is that God's kingdom has expanded to include the Gentiles, but it doesn't mean that God took away the promise to the people of Israel, took away that promise and gave it to the other people. No, it's just that God's kingdom expanded. The Jews will always be part of God's chosen people. And it's so important that, that, we, that we as Christians believe that and say that because that's what the Bible says. That's what Romans 11 says. And so uh, Galatians 3, it can be used out of context and in a scary way. And we don't want to do that in a negative way. We certainly don't want to do that. Okay, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So we were, we were cursed. We were cursed because of our sins. And Jesus became cursed on our behalf so that he could take the curse away from us. He took the curse that we deserved. So in the Bible, the idea of being cursed is a big deal because it means we are being cursed by God. It's frightening. You know, what does it mean to be cursed by God? Do you sometimes feel like we have been cursed by God, or you have been cursed by God, or I, other people say, no, it's just snake bit, right? This idea that just bad things are happening over and over again, one after another, bad things are happening. We must be cursed, right? God must be doing this to us, punishing us, doing, well, well no, no, Jesus took our curse because cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. He took our sins for us and from us. Luther wrote, when he took the sins of the whole world upon himself, Christ was no longer an innocent person. He was a sinner burdened with the sins of a Paul who was a blasphemer, with the burdens, burdened with the sins of Peter who denied Christ, burdened with the sins of David who committed adultery and murder and gave the heathen occasion to laugh at the Lord. In short, Christ was charged with all the sins of all me that he should pay with, the, pay with them his own blood. He 
The curse struck him. The curse struck Jesus so that we wouldn't be cursed. And so we as God's people can say amen to that. Thank you for taking the curse upon yourself, uh, not uh, on our behalf. So, okay. Continue the next section, verses 17 through 18. My point is this. The law which came from 430 years later, that's uh, uh, before Moses, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance comes from the law, it no longer comes from the promise, but God granted it to Abram through the promise. So back to the same point, that the promise comes from faith. It doesn't come from the law. The unchanging nature of God's promise to Abram was an important principle because this is what God the promise God made to Abraham was a one-sided covenant. It was a promise, and it was promised forever. It was not annulled because of, the, because of what happened with Moses 450 years later. So the inheritance offered to Abraham, uh, if it was on the basis of the law, it would depend on what Abraham could do, right? If it, was, it would be two-sided. In the same way, the Mosaic covenant was a two-sided covenant. When the people of God, when the, the Israelites come out of Egypt, they walk through the Red Sea and they get on the other side and the, the Ten Commandments are given to them, it's not a one-sided covenant, it's two. I will be your God, you shall be my people if you do these ten things, right? It's a, so there's a, wit, there's a two-sided covenant there. But since the inheritance offered was on the basis of a promise to Abraham and to us through Jesus, God's promise, it, it stands sure. So the promise made to Abraham is the promise made to all of us today because we who have faith are children of Abraham. That's, that's what Paul is saying here. So the, the, such an important point here that it said God granted it to Abraham. God gave it to Abraham. The, the Greek word is the word that we translate as grace. God graced it to Abraham. God gave it to him free of charge, free of charge. Uh, and so Paul is saying this theology that Paul has, this is not a new theology. It's thoroughly biblical all the way back to the book of Genesis. This theology, this Lutheran theology that we, we proclaim saved by grace through faith isn't just New Testament. It goes back to Genesis chapter 15. It goes all the way back to Abraham. It goes all the way back to the very, very beginning. And it's so important that we know that, okay, so a few hundred years later, there was a new covenant made to Moses, uh, but it in no way overrules the one made to Abraham. Specifically in what Jesus did, Jesus points us back to the original covenant of the promise that God makes, where God says, I see your faith and I reckon it as righteousness. Your faith is enough. Your faith is enough. So, so important. So, Continue a little bit more about the law. Verse 19 uh, through 20 uh, through 21. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring would come to whom the promise had been made and it was ordained through angels by a mediator. Now a mediator involves more than one party, but God is one. It is the law. Is the law then opposed to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could make uh, alive, then righteousness would indeed have come through the law. Okay, a couple of things here, a couple of important things here. Uh, so it, it isn't that the law of Moses was revoked when Jesus came. Jesus said, I didn't come to fulfill the law, to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Instead, the law is no longer the thing that we stand on when we approach God. 
when we build a relationship with God, it's no longer built on the law and our ability to obey the law. It's built on faith. So important. Salvation in Jesus is through faith in God's promises, just like uh, the, the, the faith that Abraham had in God's promise at the beginning. See, and so here's a promise depends on one person. If someone promises you something, it depends on one person. A contract is two people. A promise is one person, right? I promise to go pick up your mail. I promise to let your dog out. I promise to do something. It's one person doing something. Now, a contract would say, I promise to let your dog out and, I, and you promise to pay me $20 a day or something like that, right? But the law depends on two people. A relationship built on law depends on two people. It, it, it depends on the person who gives the law and the person who keeps the law. But a promise made by God depends on one person, and that is God. And, then, and so through grace, uh, through grace, God has promised to save us, to save those who are faithful. Now, the law is not something evil. It is, it's a good thing for us to have the law to help us to know uh, how we should live. But the promise uh, or the law, the, the law, the problem with the law is that it's, there is no ability. The law is not able to transform people for the sake of relationship. He said, uh, the law, if, for if a law had been given that could make alive, then righteousness would indeed come through the law. But it isn't. The, the, the law doesn't transform people. The law doesn't, because there is no love in the law. There is no love in the law. So, so the, the gospel, the grace of God comes and transforms people for the sake of relationship, for the sake of loving God and loving one another. The law can't do that. The law can build a curb and tell you to stay on the road. That's what it can do. But the, it doesn't transform people. And, and the idea behind humanity, creation, is relationship. And so for us to grow in relationship with God and with one another, we need something bigger than the law. We need grace, and grace is what transforms us uh, and, and helps us to live with one another in, in, in ways that are more than just, okay, I'm not going to murder you today or lie to you today, but I'm going to be your neighbor today, and I'm going to help you today, and I'm going to do the things that God would have me do today. Uh, and so that is the gospel. That is grace, uh, and that is the law doesn't have the power to do that. And then verses 28 through 29, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So there is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male and female. So one of the problems with the Galatian Christians was that they wanted to still observe the dividing line between Jew and Greek, going back to what we talked about in Galatians 2 with Peter. Uh, and, and Paul says, we can't do that anymore. This gospel, this grace rises above that. The old dividing lines are gone. Our new identity in Jesus Christ makes us a family, makes us one. Uh, and it's more, this, this faith that we have, this life that we've been called into is more important than the way of the world, right? The way of the world divides us. The way of the world divides us among Jew and Greek, slave, free, man, woman, rich, poor, black, white, hetero, homo, all, the, you know, all these things, right? But not the kingdom. In the kingdom, through God's grace, we are all one. And that is more important than all the dividing lines that the world's going to throw at us. And so Luther said, the list might be extended indefinitely. 
There is neither preacher nor hearer, neither teacher nor scholar, neither master nor servant, etc. In the matter of salvation, rank, learning, righteousness, influence count for nothing. Influence counts for nothing. In the kingdom of God, we are all one. This is one of the main verses used when the ELCA, the predecessor bodies, uh, started ordaining women. Right? There is, no, there is no male and female anymore. We are all one in Christ. We are all gifted individually. And we are not going to be set aside based on gender. But we're not going to be set aside based on race. We are all going to be one. One in our faith in God. Because and through the promises that God has made. Not because of our works. So powerful, powerful chapter here. Galatians chapter 3. Paul is really, really on a roll here. And this stuff is just so relevant today as much as it was 2,000 years ago. And so we as the people of God say thank you, God, for all of this that Paul writes down and all of this theology that is still so true today and helps comfort us and helps us to see we have work to do. Because as much as they struggled with dividing lines back then, we struggle with dividing lines today. And so help us, O oh Lord, to overcome those. Help us to live as people of your kingdom, not the kingdom of the world. Amen. Thanks again for joining me today. So sorry I couldn't be with you live, but uh, hope to see you soon. And next, uh, next Tuesday, we will continue with um, Galatians chapter 4. Take care.